Morning, happy Sabbath. I have a confession to make before sermon. That you know that it's not very good. <laughs> uh, I was uh, slated to uh, preach today, and that was like quite some time back. And uh, that was on the condition I arranged with uh, Elder Rolf Gerber. I said, well, well, if the pastor comes, then I don't need to preach. Pastor has come. And uh, so I texted uh, Rolf and I said, hey, pastor is here, right? so I don't have to. He said, no, you still have to. <laughs> so I was like, what should I preach on? Well, I then prayed about it and I was inspired to talk about something very, very uh, serious. So um, I just want to uh, put forth an uh, invitation if you are triggered or affected by this sermon, uh, do talk to someone. Uh, and even if you want to talk to me after the sermon, please do so. I'm talking about a topic that is uh, very heavy. It's about suicide. Or, if we were to put this way, when life seems not worth living anymore. And I want to present to you a biblical perspective. And why am I doing it today? Because today happens to be World Suicide Prevention Day. Um, all across the globe, uh, prevention experts and specialists are focusing specifically about talking about suicide, but more importantly about suicide prevention. And um, we can't escape it, right? So I thought it that um, it's perhaps timely to address this, and uh, especially if you know of someone who has been affected by it, or you yourself are affected by it, right? So I thought this sermon has a few parts. Um, the first part, I'm going to look at what is the scale of the problem, and then I'm going to talk about some of the commonly held misconceptions, not all of them, but just a few of them. And then dive into what the Bible does talk about suicide. It may not do so, so directly, but there are instances being quoted. And there are, you know, examples to look at. And what can we learn from that? But more importantly, I would like to share with you just three theological points about what we can rely on should we face or someone close to us are facing the problems. And then I'll end the sermon with just a few practical tips, what we can do, right? So that's just where we go. Um, firstly, globally, about 700,000 people die by suicide every year. More than accidents. Now, if you think about the statistics, just work it out. What it will mean that every minute, every minute, someone will die by suicide. Somewhere in the world. And if you think about it, by the time we end this sermon, 
30 to 40 people would have killed themselves by suicide. Just think about it. So, where does this lead us in our tiny island? What's the figure like? Well, in 2021, it was reported, and I emphasize reported, formally reported, suicide deaths. There were 378. Thankfully, the number was smaller than the year before. And uh, we who are in suicide prevention work were actually anticipating there to be more because the height of COVID, the anxieties, the fears, was very, very excruciatingly painful. But thankfully, the numbers did not go up. But then again, having said that, three, seven, eight people died. That's more than one a day in Singapore. Now, another um, statistics to share with you, and this is generally um, plus minus. So if we are looking at a general population, then about 5% of any population 5%, 1 in 20, would have some thoughts of suicide in the past one year. Right? So, why talk about it? Um, a few points, a few pointers, in case you're wondering, no, you know, it doesn't happen in church. I must correct you, it does happen in church. About, um, what, 12, 13 years ago, we lost one of our youth, our youth group member here, through suicide. And I had to do the very tough task of conducting the funeral. It was very, very hard. So, if I were just to say generally here, we're about 100 plus people, then there'd be a few of us who probably had entertained the thought of dying by suicide last year. And so, it is time to talk about it. It is time to talk to someone about it. And it may sound, this is not right, shouldn't be. But I just want to tell you, it's okay to talk about it. Part of my work currently right now, um, I do training in suicide intervention. And together with Adeline, we conduct two-day courses for groups of people. And uh, I've just talked to Pastor Johnny just now and I said, we are willing to conduct it for the church. You just have to pay for the materials and that's about it. And I'll tell you at the end of the sermon why it can be done. All right? But maybe we need to... Um, tackle these questions. And that will be, is having suicidal thoughts a sin? Is it sin to think about suicidal thoughts? By the end of this sermon, I hope you get, we are able to tackle this question, right? Because I'll just tell you generally, it may not be. 
and because it could be a potential barrier for us to share and talk with someone if we are so burdened because we're not sure, will we be condemned? Will we be judged? Can we be helped? Will God forgive me? Will God help me? So, I would also like to address the point where in case we do feel, we do have that kind of feelings, what can we do? Or, if we know of someone affected or afflicted by it, what can we do to help? Right, so I would like to tackle those things and end with what God has promised us. All right, but firstly, I think it's important for us to uh, dispel or tackle some, you know, common misconceptions that uh, we might have about this topic of suicide. And, and I call this section here, Busting Myths about suicide. And what, what is a myth? A myth is a commonly believed but false idea. It's unfounded or it's a false notion. And it has to be tackled. Why? Right, a couple of things here. Because myths about suicide increase the stigma and thereby we don't want to talk about it or we don't want to take action because we believe in that manner and we decrease help-seeking and help-providing behaviours because it's such a very, um, you know, it, it seems like a very difficult topic to deal with. It is, but we should. We should handle it, all right? So here are the myths. Common one is that uh, people say, well, if you ask someone about suicide, you actually can plant the thought in their heads. Right? So right off, I'm going to tell you it's a myth. Right? And what will happen is this. Research has shown that if you ask about suicide in a way that is caring, respectful, and empathetic, it actually opens up and convince, convinces people to share. Because of the stigma around, we, we're not even sure that we can talk to someone about it. And so we don't. So, for sure, if you ask someone whether or not they are thinking about suicide, it doesn't plant the thought in their head. Right? Of course, we do it with gentleness and respect. Right? Number two, people who say they are thinking about suicide are just seeking attention. Oh, just attention seeking because they want, they are staff of attention, they're not getting in, therefore they say, I want to suicide. Well, it's a myth because uh, we are taught that whenever a declaration like that is being stated out, we need to act on it, we need to provide assurance we don't want to be dismissive. Okay, so this encourages people to go and find someone to talk about it. And they are not going to be looked down upon as, oh, you're just seeking attention. Okay, let's go number three. Suicide is selfish. Sometimes it feels that way, that the person thinking about suicide doesn't think about anything else. Well, there's another way of looking at it. And we bust this myth because 
for some, they may have, well, thinking that has been affected, right, by illness of the brain maybe, by circumstance, and therefore their cognitive thoughts have been affected. And they may think that actually by going away, it releases the burden for those around. So in that sense, it's not about being selfish. They were actually thinking about others. But if we approach it and very judgmentally tell them, oh, you're just being very selfish, they won't open up. And they'll just remain in their pain and suffering. Right? Number four. And this is important because it's about help giving, right? So we believe, some people believe, when someone wants to suicide, nothing can be done to stop them. Well, let me qualify that. Generally, suicide is largely preventable. It can be prevented. And we also believe that the majority of those who plan on suicide actually in some ways some ways, may not be verbally, it could be by action, it could be by, you know, hints and all that, actually ask for help and tell people. And they also found out that for those who survived their suicide attempts, and when they interviewed them and talked to them, Majority of them said the moment they carried out their suicide plan, they regretted it. So largely it's preventable, means that we can do something about it. But the fifth myth, I think it's good to tackle it straight on because it happens within a faith community. And that is, suicidal persons lack spiritual faith. You have all these thoughts because you don't pray enough. Because you don't believe enough. It's a lingering belief. And therefore, it will never open up. In the two-day course that I conduct in helping people to um, you know, learn about how to help someone who is uh, having a suicide plan, one of the first things that we ask people is that if we ourselves are in trouble, who will we go to? And we put down a whole list. We put down like friends, colleagues, doctors, professionals, and there's one place for clergy. Clergy, that means uh, pastors. And guess what? How many people will actually put, when I'm in trouble, I will go to a pastor? You guess how many? Misha is saying zero. Well, okay, actually, in all the years, I've been calling for 10 years, all right, maybe two or three. The majority will say, when I'm in trouble, I'll go to a caring friend, right? But why does it seem then that religious people, priests, pastors, and all that, ministers, don't get it? So this is what we want to dispel, Right? No, think about it. People with suicidal thoughts may actually struggle with a broad range of factors. It could be physiological. It could be brain, neurological, brain health. 
It could be emotional well-being or circumstances that have happened. It could be a whole host of things. It doesn't necessarily mean that their faith is weak. Okay? So, I hope that you can just hold these thoughts very, very quickly and dispel them. In case they come out, you know that this is not true. Now, let's look at what the Bible says or Bible cites some examples. Right? I will have two lists. One list will be those that are, we call them the villains because um, well, they really did not exhibit um, the kind of faith that we should you know, follow after. But let's look at the emotions that they were facing and then compare it with the so-called some heroes of faith who actually did mention something about suicide but they did not carry it out. Right? You'd be surprised at some of the names that come up. Right? So, so the first list will be, um, I call it Hall of Shame, but the important thing is to look at what they were struggling with before dying or before killing themselves. One is Abimelech. Very interesting character. If you read through the books of Judges, you will know that he's the son of Gideon and he has... Uh, 70 brothers, he killed all of them, except one. He killed all of them. For a while, he reigned as king or judge. But in the battle, the, the, the Canaanites that he was you know, uh, living with or ruling over turned against him. And in one particular battle, it was his final battle, a woman dropped a millstone on his head as he was attacking the fort. And he was, you know, grievously wounded, but he decided that he must die. Why? He didn't want the shame, right? He says, draw your sword. He asked his armor bearer, right, actually to carry out the deed. He asked the armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me. Last man say of me, a woman killed me. He couldn't take it. Faced with life and the fact that the woman killed him and the woman threw a stone. It wasn't by a sword or axe or whatever, like men of valor fighting. No, it was just a millstone. Shame. He couldn't take it. What was emotions going through his head? He didn't want to be known as that, but, well, history tells it as it is. So Abimelech. Second one, Saul. Wow, King Saul, first king, right? Tall, big, handsome guy, but went down the wrong road in this battle with the Philistines, right? His sons were killed, and then he decided, he told his armor bearer, same kind of story, draw your sword. Trust me through with it, lest this uncircumcised man come and thrust me through and abuse me. I don't want to be like Samson. I rather die. Told Amar Bara, Amar Bara couldn't do it. He did it on himself. There was disdain for what's going to happen to him. Very shameful, and he suicided. Ahithophel. Okay, this is a little interesting story. He's an advisor. All right? 
This was the days of uh, Absalom uh, rebelling against the father, David. And uh, he was an advisor. He gave certain advice, and his advice was not followed. All right? And you, you could see the determination that he wanted to uh, carry out his plan of suicide. Now, when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey, arose, and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order. He hanged himself and died. Why? He has lost his purpose. His worth, he felt, his advice that he was giving to the rebellious king was not followed. He lost his sense of purpose. He felt that life was no longer worth living. And therefore, he took his life. Just look at the emotions that was going through, right? Because later we're going to compare, we're going to confront it, all right? Zimri is, was a king of seven days, all right? In the days of uh, kings, um, he went about and once again, he was losing the fight because his own general rebelled against him. And what he did was he burned his own house down and he died himself with it. Why? He felt totally a failure. So coupled with what we saw earlier, worthlessness and now a sense of failure, decided to take his life. And maybe the last name is more familiar with all of us, Judas. You know what Judas did? Right? Some may say that he wanted to force Jesus to take action, right? to, to bring the kingdom because he was a Messiah. Right? And, but Jesus didn't. Jesus allowed himself to be captured, tortured, and crucified. And Judas, it was interesting because the Bible records that Judas was remorseful. Remorseful, full of remorse, but not repentance. He regretted his action. In fact, he took whatever he was given, right? The bribe that he took, he threw back at them. But they say, well, what is it to us? It's your fault. Right? And so he hung himself. Full regret, but no repentance. He didn't seek God's forgiveness. He went ahead and couldn't handle that. All right? Now, let's compare this list, okay, with the so-called heroes. I put them in just inverted commas because we see them at their worst times. Their worst. And the Bible doesn't skim around it. The Bible actually gives to you the worst so that there's a purpose, and later I will share with you why. Why is the Bible tell you all the flaws as well? Solomon. Solomon. The greatest king, right? The greatest, so-called the wisest in Ecclesiastes. He captures this thought, all right? He says, I hated life. I hated life because the son 
The work that was done was distressing for all its vanity and grasping for the wind. Meaningless, meaningless. He despaired of life. Okay, he didn't say he wanted to kill himself, but in just that thought, that life was something that he hated. And he was full of distress. It was distressing. So now you see the heroes of the faith now telling you, there were times when they felt so distressed. Have you gone through distress yourself? Elijah, wow, this is a, and I preached about this before, Elijah. Elijah, the one who could call down fire from heaven to consume his sacrifice in front, in front of all the false priests and all that. Remember that? And he took one woman, one woman to threaten him. The queen Jezebel threatening him and he fled. And he was so, so down from a high to a low. How low can you go? He says, it is enough, Lord. Take my life for I am no better than my father's. But of course you know, God made him sleep. God fed him and made him sleep. God gave him food. And on that, he ran 40 days, 40 nights to the mount of God. And that's when God addressed him. He was totally tired and depressed. Have you gone through that? And here, hero of faith. Hero of faith, very slowest. Jonah, oh yeah, Jonah, you know. Jonah is like, no la, no la, don't. <laughs> Jonah. Jonah. <laughs> this is perhaps, I'm not sure whether, whether you've come to the level where you're so angry that you wanted to die. And Jonah knew exactly what God wanted him to do was to preach the good news to the Ninevites so that they can be saved. And Jonah didn't want anything of that. Jonah said, no, no, I knew you are going to do it. I know you asked me, this is why I went the other way. I didn't want to do it. He was the incredible sulk. He's like, oh, do it, do it, do it, do it. And he was so angry, he wanted to die. Anyone felt that way? Full of despair. Now, here's the real hero, the next one, all right? But there's something telling about him. Paul. Paul. Paul captures something here that's Really interesting. He says here, We were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. You know, and Paul has a whole litany of what he went through. And he captures this thought that even life was full of despair for him. Really, really tough. So now we have the two lists. Let's go through some of the emotions because this is the real stuff. The Bible doesn't hide it. The Bible tells it as it is. So, brothers and sisters in our congregation, if you are going through, if you are going through any of this, fear, anxiety, shame, loss, pain, hopelessness, I want to tell you that it's normal. It's normal. 
It's okay to feel this. Because we have seen the heroes of faith going through that. But we have also seen the villains going through the same thing, right? But they ended their lives through suicide. And in suicide work, we know that Sometimes it's not so much that the person who's thinking about suicide just wants to think about suicide. No. It's just that they cannot find another way to end their pain, to end their suffering, to end their desperation. There's no other way. If only they could have hope, but they didn't have hope. If only they can think of hope. It's not so logical. For some who have been afflicted, with suicidal thoughts and depression and all that, they need more help than just straight off, come on, step out of it. It doesn't happen that way. You know, I, I deal also with teenagers, and most, one of the things that teenagers face is romantic breakup. Right? And, the, the, you know, this guy will come to me and he'll be like crying and he, he will call me chur, you know. <laughs> you know, break up, right? You, you, you think it'd be helpful if I were to tell him, come on, you're so handsome. Singapore got one million other girls for you. You think it would be of comfort to him? No. It's very logical. Yes, handsome guy going through breakup, but his emotions have clouded his thoughts so much that he cannot even think straight. What if... We've gone through all this and we cannot think straight. And I have a list of these. And it looks like this. Depression, distress, despair, despondency, desperation. And there are more these, actually. But you also notice that the heroes of faith went through all of that. And one thing that they did was for some of them, at least that was represented in Elijah and Jonah, they spoke to God. They complained to God. And it's recorded. Right? And God gave them the answers. So, even in the midst of going through all of this, that's a way. That's a way. So now I'm going to share with you three theological thoughts. Three thoughts about how God sees us Three only. There are few, but three, three to me are very important. Okay, so let's go. The biblical realities we can trust. And that is the first truth. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing. And when we say nothing, it's literally nothing because the Apostle Paul then lists down what are some of the things that can, but he says not, not even those. You want to see? Neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, nor powers. These are all the supernatural dimensions. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And neither things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, created things, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Regardless of how we are feeling then, it can't even 
separate us from the love of God. Which is why I chose this as our scripture passage today. It's that truth that holds. Now, before you, you could be having a friend or someone who's so depressed, so down. Just the assurance, no matter what you're going through now, it doesn't separate you from the love of God. No matter what you are thinking, it doesn't separate you from the love of God. Not at all. So that's the first thought that we have. The second one is this. God seeks to deliver us. And this is from the words of Paul. Because Paul did mention at that time, they despaired even of their life then. But then he mentions this. 2 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10. And I'll show you the pattern behind this. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and thus deliver us, in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. Do you see the three dimensions of time there? Do you see the past? Do you see the past there? God delivered us from so great a death. Your past has been taken care of, brothers and sisters. Regardless of what you're going through, what you have come from, what you have done, it has been taken care of by a Savior who loves you. And nothing can separate you from our Savior. And He has really taken care of it. Your past is taken care of. And sometimes in dealing with people with suicidal thoughts, one of the things that they, they struggle, with is, struggle with is something called rumination. rumination. They keep thinking of the past. Something triggers them. And the past occupies the present until they've got no future. And if you deal with them, it's like, you know, like a, a, a spoiled record. They're going on and on, but last time, last time, they cannot come out of it. Because they don't know the deliverer. Because you take this through from this passage, God has delivered us already. That's the past. What about the present dimension? You see the next line, it says, and thus deliver us. Right? If, if you know a bit about grammar, it says, thus deliver us. It's actually present, continuous. It's still doing it. Because why? We still need to be delivered, right? Don't we? Look at all the deeds just now. Are we afflicted by it? Well, we can do things to help prevent them from coming, but sometimes they do come. And when they come, remember, we have a deliverer. The past taken care of, the present taken care of, and what about the future? In whom we trust that He will still deliver us. Will deliver us. Will deliver. If you look at the Greek grammar, the will means it's 100%. More than 100%, you will do it. Right? So our past taken care of, our present taken care of, our future is even taken care of. Right? So this biblical truth, God seeks to deliver us. Right? And the third point, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. It's enough. 
it's enough. No matter what we are going through, just know that it is enough. How do I know? All right? Again, Apostle Paul, litany of whatever he's gone through, all the sufferings, and then he quotes this. And he said to me, as he's quoting God, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. But the key line there is, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. God seeks to deliver us, and His grace is enough for us. All of this, just three truths for us to go by, right? So what can we do then, in a real sense, right? And this is one line that I like very much. It says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak, I realize that I need God's strength. And therefore, I become strong. I don't rely on myself, right? Because my strength is never enough. But we serve a God, an amazing God, who has delivered us, will deliver us, and who will strengthen us. So what can we do now? So these are just some very practical tips um, that has helped quite a number of people. And if you are facing a suicide crisis or you know someone who's going through this, maybe just consider these few things. I've only got four steps here, right? Not complicated. But let's, let's see. First one, talk to God. Unload your fears, anxieties, pain. And you can be honest. You can be brutally honest the way Jonah did, the way Elijah did. You can be honest but you need to talk to God. Why? Firstly, you acknowledge that you go to God, that He delivers. So you seek God first. God is ever willing to lend His ear to you, that He may then strengthen you in your weakness and in your struggle. So go to God, seek God first. I know sometimes this is difficult because in the work that I do, I just don't deal with faith believers. I deal with people who don't believe in God. It's so hard to present this idea to them that you can actually talk to God. But can you imagine if they come to know a Savior who loves them and they can do this? So within our confines here, our own congregation, those who believe, right? We believe then just seek God. Seek God first. Cry out in your pain and God will answer you. I can assure you of that. Right? God loves you more than I can ever love you. Seriously. Yeah? Number two, tell a friend. Talk to someone you trust. Now, if you are that friend, just show up and shut up. This is something strong, right? But this was the words of uh, Pastor Rick Warren when his son suicided and he then wrote some reflective words and there were people who come and quote him scripture and all that. You think it was helpful? 
Rubbish, he says. He remembers those who just came and just sat beside him. You will know. So just don't judge. Just listen. One of the ways that we find helpful in helping these people is that when they can pour out. Because number one, they're not sure that they can trust you because of stigma. They're not sure whether you will judge them. They're not sure whether you have all the answers for them. Because that's not what they are looking for at that moment because you need to deal with their emotions. Right? And one of the beautiful things I love about Christ, our Lord, is the verse found in uh, John chapter 11. I can't remember the exact verse, but it's the shortest verse in the Bible. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Two words. Jesus wept. And that wept means he cried for a friend. Sit there, just cry with them. Don't judge. Let, it, let the toxic out first. Now, next step, also important, seek help. It's okay to look for help. You don't look silly, you don't look stupid, you don't look weak. Go, ask for help. And if there's one thing that I'm thankful for the pandemic, if there's one thing, right? is that the pandemic opened up the ways for a lot of this to be attended to. There are more resources now in the community. There are more things. People are more open to talk about it, right? So get help. Call a helpline. SOS, just four digits, 1767, 24 hours. They have just released a, a care text line I can't remember the exact number, but you can actually, they just launched it today because it's Suicide Prevention Day. You can actually text if you don't want to talk to someone, 24 hours, right? Or go to IMH, 6839 24 hours. Or if it's like serious, serious stuff, it's very critical, very urgent, then call 999 or 995. I'm glad that in Singapore, we have all this resourcing. It's just that sometimes we feel afraid to even go and say, no, it's, it's so shameful. No, I'm trying to tell you, no, no. Follow the biblical ways of the champions who went and expressed their weakness because in their weakness, they become strong. So in the same way, we seek help. But the fourth thing we can do for ourselves, recover. We need to rest. Just like Elijah God said, you ran, you did all these things, but now I want you to sleep. So he slept, right? Because in sleeping and resting, he repaired. And God fed him, right? Make sure you, you take care of yourself, right? Replenish and recharge. There are many, many things that we can do in that process. Right? So just four things. Talk to God. Talk to a friend. Seek help and recover. I want to leave all of us with this fantastic promise from Isaiah 26, verse 3. Okay, it's a bit small, but Isaiah 26, verse 3, taken from the New Century Version. He says this, You, Lord, give true peace. Now, I know other versions put there, perfect peace. But here, you, Lord, give true peace to those who depend on you because they trust you. And so, brothers and sisters, trust the Lord always 
because He is our rock forever. May the Lord bless you all. May I invite the church to stand as we sing our closing song? Let's receive the benediction as you go forth from this sacred place, this sanctuary, into the world, into your families, and into places where you interact with others. May the peace of God, may His shalom, may His grace, His love, and His mercy infuse all your interactions as you go forth from this place and grant you peace now and forevermore. Amen.